Welcome back to Core Anesthesia. Whether you are a student prepping for tests and boards or a CRNA here to earn CEUs, we are glad you've joined us. For more about us, make sure to check us out on Instagram at Core Anesthesia and online at coreanesthesia.com. Welcome back to Core Anesthesia. I'm Cole here with Tanner, and today we want to talk about airway anatomy. So we want to go through the different aspects of the oral cavity, the nasal cavity, back into the pharynx and into the larynx, and talk about the nerves that innervate the different sections there, what muscles they innervate. For right now, we want to stay with the actual anatomy, and then we'll build on that in future sessions. So Tanner, do you want to take us away with the different anatomy that we want to talk about today? So the first thing we want to talk about is the pharynx, and this is comprised of three different sections. So you have your nasopharynx, your oropharynx, and your hypopharynx, which is also called the laryngeal pharynx. Moving caudal from that, you'll get to your larynx. The larynx extends from C3 to C6. Within your larynx, you have three paired cartilages, and then you have your three unpaired cartilages. So your Paired cartilages are going to be your corniculate, your arytenoid, and cuneiform. Your unpaired will be the thyroid, epiglottis, and cricoid. Remember that the cricoid is the only cartilage here that forms a complete ring around the trachea. It's often referred to as a signet ring. As far as the shape, it gets more emboldened and larger in the front and has a thinner section in the back. When you look at the anatomy, think superior to inferior. So at the very top of the larynx, you'll have the epiglottis, the hyoid bone. Next, you'll have your thyrohyoid ligament. And then on the inferior portion of that, you'll have your thyroid cartilage. And that's that really big Adam's apple that you can feel in your throat. Next, you'll have your cricothyroid ligament. And then finally, underneath that is your cricoid. So that's the one that is the full circle around the trachea. Just FYI, the cricothyroidotomy is, is done there right in that cricothyroid ligament, so inferior to your thyroid and superior to your cricoid cartilage. So at this point, you need to think also what is different about your airway, whether you are dealing with an adult population or a pediatric population. The larynx in an adult is a cylinder shape, so it's pretty uniform the whole way through as far as its diameter. A pediatric airway, however, is going to be more of a funnel shape. And so the narrowest point on a pediatric airway is normally considered to be the cricoid cartilage, whereas the vocal cords is the narrowest point on an adult airway. It's important to note when we're talking about all these different cartilages that you're going to see, when you go to actually do a laryngoscopy, you're not going to be able to see your retinoid cartilages. A lot of people say that they can see them as little bumps, but that's not the retinoid. What you can see is your corniculates and your cuneiforms, and those are going to be little bumps that are going to be seen during direct laryngoscopy, but just know that's not your retinoids. It's the other two paired cartilages. And then as Tanner went through, you can actually feel on the outside of someone's neck, their, their Adam's apple, which is their thyroid cartilage. And then as you move down, you can feel their cricoid as well. And I think when I first started learning these, I just tried to memorize these with rote memorization, but just try to keep in mind spatially where all these are at in the larynx. So the thyroid cartilage is going to be that big 
basically shield of cartilage on the anterior portion of your larynx. So your vocal cords will be attaching to behind that cartilage. Those will be moving posteriorly to your arytenoids and you also have your corniculate cartilages as well. And so these paired cartilages are kind of nested right behind your thyroid cartilage and your vocal cords are what's going to connect those two uh, cartilages to one another. So as we move forward, we want to discuss now moving from your nasal and oral cavities back into your pharynx and then down to your larynx. We want to talk about the innervation that occurs there. So the first thing we want to discuss is your trigeminal nerve, which is cranial nerve five. And your trigeminal nerve, as the name gives away, splits into three sections, which is where the tri comes from, the trigeminal. And you have your ophthalmic, your maxillary, and your mandibular branches. So when we're talking about the nares and the anterior third of the nasal septum, so the, the very first part of the nasal cavity, that's going to be innervated by the ophthalmic branch of this trigeminal nerve. And specifically, off of the ophthalmic branch, it'll branch into your anterior ethmoidal. So your anterior ethmoidal nerve is what's going to innervate the nares and the anterior third of the nasal septum. You also have the maxillary branch, and that's going to go to the back part of the septum and the turbinates in the nose. And then moving to your mandibular branch, your anterior two-thirds of your tongue are going to be innervated from a, a branch coming off the mandibular branch, which is your lingual nerve, which makes sense lingual for, for speaking. So that would be the anterior two-thirds of the tongue. So think everything in the very front of the oral and nasal cavity is going to be innervated by the trigeminal nerve. Moving back into the mouth, we're going to go back into our soft palate and our oral pharynx, and this is going to be innervated by the glossal pharyngeal. So we're now we're speaking about the posterior third of the tongue, and like I said, that would be including the soft palate, the oral pharynx, and all the way up into the anterior side of the epiglottis and the vallecula. So all the way from the initial anterior two-thirds of the tongue being the mandibular branch of the trigeminal nerve, from that section all the way back to your epiglottis and molecula is going to be your glossopharyngeal. Moving down from there, you're going to have a vagus nerve that is going to split into multiple parts that we're going to talk about. So the vagus nerve is cranial nerve 10, and as it's coming down, it's going to split into the superior laryngeal nerve which is then going to split again into our internal branch and our external branch. And these are going to innervate different parts of the larynx that we'll get to here in a second. But in terms of just sensory, so not motor, we're not dealing with muscles at this point, but in terms of just sensory, the external branch is going to have nothing to do with, with, with sensing anything from the larynx, but the internal branch is going to be the posterior side of the epiglottis. So remember the glossopharyngeal nerve went all the way up to the anterior side of the epiglottis, well, now our superior laryngeal nerve is going to be starting to pick up from the backside of the epiglottis and work our way through the, through the larynx from there. And lastly, you have your recurrent laryngeal nerve and your recurrent laryngeal nerve. So if you envision the, the vagus nerve on the left and right side are coming down your neck into your, your thorax. And what's going to happen is it's going to branch off into the recurrent laryngeal nerve underneath your subclavian arteries. So it's going all the way down there underneath your subclavian arteries and then coming back up and meeting into the larynx. So it's important to note the anatomy when we're talking about this because the anatomy is different on the left and the right, meaning you have your aortic arch that is coming up on the left side and you don't have that on the right side. 
So the recurrent lyrogeal nerve on the right side is able just to wrap around your subclavian artery and come right back up, whereas the left has to go all the way underneath the aortic arch and subclavian artery and then come back up. And that'll be important here when we talk about injuries that can occur to these nerves and how issues with your heart can affect just the left recurrent laryngeal nerve. But what's going to happen is these nerves are going to come back up into the larynx and they're going to innervate and provide sensory information to anything below the vocal cords into the trachea. Perfect. And, and one thing I just wanted to add all the way back up on the trigeminal nerve, when your maxillary division branches off of the trigeminal nerve, that will innervate the sphenopalatine ganglion. And from there, you have your greater and lesser palatine nerves branching off. Your greater palatine nerve will innervate the hard palate, and your lesser palatine nerve will innervate the soft palate. Again, as you follow that down, trigeminal down to maxillary, that will go to your sphenopalatine ganglion, and then you have your greater and lesser palatine nerves. So the next thing we want to talk about is we just discussed the sensory innervation of the larynx. Now let's talk about some of the motor innervation of the larynx. And so this really just breaks down to two nerves. You have your superior laryngeal nerve and you have your recurrent laryngeal nerve. The SLN, your superior laryngeal nerve, the external division is going to innervate your cricothyroid muscle. So what this does is this will elongate or tense your vocal cords. Everything else that is motor is going to be innervated by the recurrent laryngeal nerve. So your vocalis muscle, your thyroid arytenoid, your lateral cricoarytenoid, posterior cricoarytenoid are all innervated by your recurrent laryngeal nerve. These will have several different functions. So like I just mentioned, the superior laryngeal nerve, the external division will innervate the cricothyroid muscle. Like I said, that elongates or tenses your vocal cords. Your vocalis, which is innervated by the recurrent laryngeal nerve, like I said, the rest of these are the RLN, that will shorten or relax your vocal cords. Now, these other ones will be either abducting or adducting the vocal folds. So this will have an effect on the diameter of your glottic opening. So your thyroarytenoid, your RLN will adduct, which narrows your glottic opening. Your lateral cricoarytenoid will adduct the vocal folds, which again narrows your glottic opening. And then your posterior cricoarytenoid will abduct, and that will actually open or widen your glottic opening. So stick with me here. This is how I remember this. If you are adducting so put your arm straight up to the side like you're a big plus sign. You're adducting, right? That's going to be your lateral cricoarytenoids, okay? So lateral to the side of you. Put your arm straight up to the side of you. Those adduct and bring your vocal folds together, which narrows your glottic opening. Yeah, so it's important to note what he's trying to get out here when he says adduct. He's not, he's not saying adduct is lateral. Adduct is still going towards the midline. But he's saying make a big plus sign so that your arms are lateral. And that's how you remember that it's the lateral cricoretinoids that bring yeah. things to the midline. Have we confused you? Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. But that's how I remember it. Adducting. Be a plus sign. It's out to the side. And that brings those vocal folds together. And it's going to close your glottic opening. So again, that's the RLN that's going to innervate that. So it's good to note here that when we're talking about sensory versus motor, when, we're, when we have the superior laryngeal nerve that branches to your external internal, if you remember back when I was talking about sensory, I said 
that the internal branch senses the poster, posterior side of the epiglottis, whereas your external branch doesn't do anything. It has no sensory. It's the opposite here with what Tanner was talking about when he said that the external branch innervates from a motor standpoint the cricothyroid thyroid muscles, but the internal branch has no effect at all. So just remember that depending on if you're sensory or motor, one of those will have an innervation, but the other one will not. Good. And if you're down to a guessing game, the RLN innervates everything motor except for your cricothyroid muscle, which is going to be your external branch of the superior laryngeal nerve. So let's talk about now about injury that can occur to these nerves and what effect we would see on the patient. With what you were just saying, how the SLN innervates the cricothyroid muscles, specifically the external branch, if we have damage to that external branch of the superior laryngeal nerve, then our cricothyroid muscles, they're going to be um, paralyzed and we're not going to be able to tense those vocal cords. And we're going to see that in terms of hoarseness with the patient. Whereas if you have your recurrent laryngeal nerve being damaged, there's a lot of different muscles that can be affected. So this will take a little bit more to talk about. But if you remember what I said, how it's asymmetric in terms of when it branches off the vagus nerve and loops around the subclavian artery and back up. Well, if your left side has to loop around that aortic arch and then back up, there can be things uh, such as maybe a left side deviation for your heart, a left side enlargement, if you have a tumor in that area, if you have anything wrong with your aortic arch, anything that would cause uh, increased size and pressure on that recurrent laryngeal nerve on the left side would cause unilateral damage. So you'll still be able to function from a muscular standpoint on the right side, but you'd be damaged on the left. And it makes sense then why all those issues are specifically for left-sided injury to the recurrent laryngeal nerve, whereas you can have bilateral damage and these can be from factors such as simply our airway equipment, an LMA, an ET tube, if we're doing surgery around the neck, if there's a tumor up by the neck, anything that can cause pressure on the recurrent laryngeal nerve from a bilateral standpoint. So that's not specific to just the left side. So like I said before, if one side is damaged, it's, you still have the other side working. If both sides are damaged, that's obviously a lot more of an emergent situation. Because as Tanner mentioned, every single muscle intrinsically for the larynx is innervated by this nerve, except for the cricothyroid muscles. So all those muscles are going to be paralyzed, but the cricothyroid muscles are still going to be innervated and cause that tensing. But there's no other muscles to counterbalance that tensing from the cricothyroid muscles. So these patients will, also, will often have strider due to the vocal cords not being able to compensate for that, that tensing from the other muscles that are paralyzed. Well, like we said, this is just the beginning part of a three-part series. So the next part that we will discuss will be more involved with your assessments and how you evaluate different airways. Following that, we're going to talk about the specific tools that you will want to use as you try to maintain an airway uh, in these different airway conditions. So hopefully, hopefully this was helpful for you, and this is just a good synopsis of all of the anatomy that you'll need to remember as you evaluate your patient's airway.